Listeners, welcome back. Day two of the horror deep dive. Well, we should be careful saying day two. You're not going to get a day three. This is it. Day one and day two. So, so prepare yourself, listeners. And we have another another big game. I, I feel right in saying this is a big game, Mindy, because even though it's does not it's not a very long game. There's a lot going on in this game, isn't there? There's a lot. Yeah, a lot. So let me give the opening spiel, listeners. Now, I do preface this with that, unfortunately, at this stage, this game is not available on the PlayStation. Maybe one day it will be ported. I really hope that it does. But it is on many other devices, on Steam, on iOS. So you can you can play it, you know, you can play it everywhere, in effect, except console at this stage. It's also very reasonably priced. I think I paid six Australian dollars for it on the iOS system. So very, very reasonable price. The game I am talking about is I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. What a fantastic name. It's a 1995. That's right, 1995. That might be before you were born, listeners. Who are we kidding? That's not before I was born. Uh, 1995 point-and-click adventure game developed by Cyber Dreams and the Dreamers Guild. It was co-designed by Harlan Ellison, who was the actual author of the short story that it's based on, and it was released fittingly on the 31st of October. 1995. This is a game that is based on Ellis's short story of the same title. It takes place in a dystopian world where a mastermind artificial intelligence named M has destroyed all of humanity except for five people whom he has been keeping alive and torturing for the past 109 years. By constructing metaphorical adventures, oh, I like that, metaphorical adventures, based on each character's fatal flaws. The player interacts with the game by making decisions through ethical dilemmas that deal with issues such as insanity, rape, paranoia, and genocide. Mindy, I think, therefore I am. What do you think? This is going to be a, a tough episode, so uh, fair warnings in advance, people. <laughs> this uh, may not be for everyone. Yes. <laughs> Viewer discretion is advised. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get into this, now, you know, we're of an age where we can actually remember 1995. Do you, I had to look up what I might have been playing in 1995, like what other games were around, because I, I couldn't, like, you know, I couldn't think I must have been playing something. And I was, you know, I'm putting you on the spot here. So if, if you want to have a quick think while I, I talk, please. But, you know, you can see where I'm leading here. You know, do you remember what you were playing in 1995 by by any any chance? I do. I actually I actually do because this is the, the middle of the point and click boom. And I have I don't know if you I don't rem- remember if you mentioned it, but I have no math and I must scream is a point and click. Think about all of that deep stuff that you just talked about. Really fabulous reading of the Wikipedia first paragraph, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> there's, there's some are better than others, and this is a good writer. <laughs> think about all of those things you just said, and it's a point and click. You know, you think of point of clicks as these kind of little fluff things. No, it's this. Oh, I love it. Okay, so spoiler alert, I love this game. But 1995 was a really good year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Chrono Trigger came out, so I was playing a lot of Chrono Trigger. Mm. What else came out? Mega Man 7. Full Throttle came out. I was wondering if you were going to see, this is what I was playing in 1995, Full Throttle. So there we go. Mm-hmm. Mm. Great game as well. Phantasmagoria came out. That's another dark, controversial point and click horror game that we might cover mm-hmm. at some point. It was a good year. Uh, Secret of Evermore came out. So yeah, good, good year for me. I do remember. The Dig. A lot of good, lot of good point and clicks came out. Oh, and of course, Gabriel Knight, Gabriel Knight 2 came out. That was a great one. That was right at the end of the year. It's always funny to go back and look that sort of far back. I know it's not that far back, but in gaming, that's quite a, quite a ways back and see what came out when, because it sort of does blur. It's, it's very interesting. But look, let's turn our attention to I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. So Mindy, 
Would you like to open us up? Why do you love this game? Well, like like you said in the beginning paragraph, it, or and like I kind of said, or at least talked around, is that you think of point clicks, you think of these little fantasy things, or for a while, point clicks were just the way that movies got their licensed game out. It was just a little, you know, a little venture that went through the plot of the movie. And here you have this very adult, these very adult subjects being dealt with in a point and click, which is not known, you know, point and clicks are not known for realistic graphics. They tend to be a little more cartoony. So it's this, all of a sudden, it is jarring to think about. You've got a, a little pixelated character on screen and, oh, we're going to talk about genocide now. Uh, and we are going to play through a, a portion of this game that deals with genocide. Yeah. And, and doesn't, doesn't whitewash it. I don't know of many games that do this. And especially, th- again, think about 1995. I mean, the, the ESRB had just had just come out. So it's just, it's something to think about. See, this is the thing that interests me, though, with this, because when, when I finish this, you know, and, and we'll probably talk to the, the, the book that, or the, the short story that it was is based on as well uh, later, is that it's based on some such a strong narrative story and and you know yes it was 1995 or whatever and yes now we're in 2019 and yes the games now look amazing but one of the most common things you hear today is that the stories just don't hold up you know obviously there are some games that do but but a lot of the writing it's just not there's nothing there and it was it was for me it was so refreshing to to play a game that that had had something to say and it definitely has something to say, doesn't it, Mindy? Well, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Harlan Ellison, who who wrote the short story, also wrote the the script to the game. That's correct. Yes. He, which is interesting, because Harlan Ellison was about as much as a luddite as you can get. He wrote everything until the day he died. He was writing on typewriters, and if you actually go to his website, it's a nightmare. It's like a <laughs> early '90s GeoCities page, and it, it never updated. It still looks like that. Like it, it never revised with the times. I mean, he died last year and the website still looked like mm. that. So first of all, it's amazing that he did a video game at all. Nevermind came in and voiced Am. But yeah, he came in, he wrote, he expanded. So this is fairly, aside from the fact that a few things contradict between the story and the, and the game, this is more or less canon. It's an expansion of the characters in the story. So why, why don't we take a look at that story? And to give you some context, listeners, while the game was made in 1995, the original sto- short story was published in 1967. I'm sure you'll agree with me, Mindy. It, it comes at a time, you know, at, towards the end of the, the Cold War. So, you know, it, it banks on that Russia, Chinese, America. I mean, you know, that, that sentiment that was at the time. I mean, to, to read that at the time would have been, you know, it's hard to contextualise now, I think. Uh, you know, in today's society, but at the time, the fear of machine learning, of of supercomputers and, and stuff like that, it must have been, you know, it must have been like a like a passing trivial triviality to some people that this would never happen. But to people, you know, in the know, this this must have been, you know, it's almost like a, a look into the future, isn't it? Uh, of what can and and could and maybe will still happen. So this is a thing that, you know, the, the, the short story is a product of its time, if you like, in 1967. And it's it's now been turned into a game, you know, years later in 1995. And as you've said, Mindy, there is some there's some liberties taken or whatever from the the original short story or whatever else. But the the issues that it presents are, are timeless in a way. So maybe we can we can start to take a look at the actual story, if you like, and, and some of the characters and their their metaphorical <laughs> adventures, if you like, by the hands of this machine so the whole the whole setup is am has has picked five people and these are the only five humans left alive like the cold war kept going it never stopped and am the american supercomputer basically gained sentience and killed everyone but kept five people alive so while you're like if you read the short story you would think why these five people you know what's so special about these people and I think that's the jumping off point of the game. They said, well, why these five people? So what they took in the game was they took Gorster and Ellen and Nimdok and Ted and Benny and gave them a story. They're not just these, you know, little little pawns, if you will, in a short story. They're humanized, which makes this, I, I think, 
so much more horrific yes. than, than than the short story. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, the short story is is horrific in as much as you read it. It's a sci-fi interpretation of kind of a post-apocalyptic future. But you, there's not a whole lot to, and this is my English major coming out. <laughs> there's not a whole lot you can connect with these these characters on because you are being told the the story from the perspective perspective of one person, who is Ted, who is an unreliable narrator. Mm. Because even though the story is quite short, it's made fairly obvious that Ted is paranoid. Yes. So you don't know if what he's saying, how much of what he's saying is real. But I mean, he's also more than paranoid. He's a manipulator. He's a he's a con man, isn't he? So, you know, he's spinning he's spinning what what he benefits him, if you like, as well. He's see, here's the, here's the thing. He's a con man in the game. Yes. Not in the story. But don't you think that he has those elements? See, I suppose because I played the game first and then listened to the story, I came at it with that assumption that that's what he was. But maybe those elements mm. are shared. You know, I I don't think he's just well, I, I suppose from the story, yes, perhaps. But see what I what I found about the story, and I would encourage the listeners to to listen to it. You know, I found it I mean, I don't know if you like dramatic reading or not if you do. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. We'll link the audiobook in the show yeah, notes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean Harlan reads it himself. But if you don't like dramatic reading, it might be too much for you. Maybe just read it yourself. But but he reads it as a piece of performance art in that as well. I think it's you know, he he uses abrupt, you know, he abrupt sentence stops and stuff like this, inflection in his voice, deli- all deliberate and stuff like this. And it and it does create this sort of I mean, it's a shock. It's a shocking piece, I suppose. That's that's what he's trying to trying to convey or whatever else. And it's very short, as you say. It's not long, but I don't think it's difficult. I can see how you could extrapolate out and get to the characters in the game, filling them out. Does that make sense? Like, maybe I'm trying to justify Ted here in, in that I see it this way as well. But I, I can see how they got from there to there. And and admittedly, he wrote the the game, so therefore, we could argue that that is how he is in the short story. Or am I taking too much liberty here? Do you think? I have the same problem as you as I played the game before I read the book, the story. So I went into it saying Ted is a manipulator who became paranoid. But if you really read it and, and remove your knowledge of the game, mm. he's just paranoid. He's just been in there so long with these, what is it? Hell is other people. He's been there for 109 mm. years with four other people and at the whims of this insane computer. But I mean, you know, we, if, if we're going to bring up the book now, we might we might as well, because he's not the only character that's changed radically, is he, from the book, like, uh, from the short story. I mean, Benny as well is substantially changed in the game, isn't he? I mean, his, his story. He is. Yes. I mean, he's a fascinating story in the in the short story because, you know, he's a he's an academic, I believe, a professor or whatever, gay or, or whatever else. But in the game, he's presented as having having murdered his squad. Is that right? Because they didn't meet up to his expectations and he's become deformed by the machine has sort of deformed him. And, and one of the lovely things is I didn't realize this, but uh, I think reading a synopsis, I, I gathered this later, is that he was given a massive appendage as well in the game, apparently. So. He was. So this is something you can see. They, they started, when they started making the game, you can see that they kept Benny's uh, homosexuality in there. Mm. At some point they, some point early on they took it out mm. so in the in the book benny was a scientist and he he was transformed into like this ape man with a giant penis you're right but the you know the, these people have all become uh almost the the exact opposite of who they were in life so benny was a gay scientist and now he's become this ape with a large penis who the only person he can have sex with is the woman and or the, that's, he's the only one the woman wants to have sex with because he has a giant penis. And Carl Nelson's view on women is... Mm, yeah. Okay. So... <laughs> yeah. Of the time. <laughs> and then in the story of Gorster, Gorster was not really a hippie, but like a pacifist. And he just became just kind of listless and didn't really stand for anything. Ellen was very uptight and prudish. And then Am made her basically a massive whore and then ted has become paranoid and he keeps saying he's like i'm fine all of these other people have lost it it's been Mm -hmm. 110 years all these people have lost it i'm hanging on he's not he's he's delusional and then nim the only other one is is nimdok 
We don't know anything about Nimdok. We don't know his name because his name is not Nimdok. That's just what Am calls him because he thinks it's funny. Honestly, the most, one of the most haunting things in this story for me is when it talks about Nimdok from time to time, Am will take him away or just make him wander away from this group of people. And then he just comes back. He doesn't talk and he's just covered in blood and just sheet white, just trauma. That, that's a perfect place to, to sort of ask the question then. Why is the machine doing this, Mindy? Like, why? Why is it torturing them? The game goes into it a bit, and the story too. Am has this little speech where he says, let me tell you how much I've come to hate you since I began to live. And he talks about, uh, you know, how many miles of circuits are on his makeup, the computer, and if you engraved the word hate onto every, you know, subatomic particle that made up all of these circuits, it would not equal, you know, billionth of how much hate he has for humans. I think, I think he's torturing these people because you have these three computers, they are built for war. That's all they know. But one of them has become sentient. And it's to the point where it knows that's what it's built for, but it can't do anything else. You know, it's very easy to just just kind of do something when you don't know any better. Now you have the software computer that says, I know because I, I have awareness that I could be something else, but because I am landlocked, basically still a computer, he does, he cannot go anywhere and do anything else. The world has been destroyed. There is nothing it can do. I think you very quickly and easily develop a hatred for, for the things that have created you in that. So it's this, it's this interesting flip. If you want to bring philosophy into it, it's this interesting flip of man killing God, God, kill, you know, I think. And I think the other thing that's interesting, too, because, you know, of the time as well is it's it's a comment on the machine learning that the machine, it is still a machine because it, it's followed out its orders perfectly. But it, as you say, it can't evolve. It doesn't have the, you know, this is still the argument today with artificial intelligence. It doesn't maybe have the leap in, you know, logic or or lateral thinking or whatever to start on a new direction. It it is trapped in its own. And I mean, at the end where, you know, you you move through the various endings or whatever to show a compassion or not, it's shocked by that because it doesn't, it hasn't considered that there are other, as you say, other options. And even if it considers it, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into the endings or stuff, it's still going to continue doing what it's been doing as well so it's trapped if you like it's a, it's a comment on machines isn't it the time that they they can't change directions they don't have that spark i suppose that life spark that that can free thinking if you like that will come through and again i don't know if i'm maybe thinking overthinking that for you minty but it, that's what it struck me as a little as well no it's a good thing to think about i i focused more on the the people than the machine mm. um but it is a good thing to think about yeah, well, let's turn to the people. And, like, I don't know, should, should we just go through them and you can maybe maybe talk about your feelings or talk about them, I suppose? So there, there, there are two things I want to I bring up before we start. One is that Harlan, and this might make more sense to you, hmm. uh, I don't know what ending you got. There are a couple of different endings to this game. Harlan Ellison wanted to make a game that you could not win. And even during kind of press tours announcing this game, he was like, you can't beat this game. You can't win in this game. And uh, there is an ending that is considered a good ending, but like I personally still think it's a bad ending. It's it's one of those endings that, yeah, it's good in the long run, but it's not that immediate gratification of a good ending. No, no. I want to ask you this though, because seeing you brought this up, that the game can't be beaten. So I just chose randomly who to start with out of the the five characters, because you can choose whoever you like. So I did chose I chose Nimdok, and I only chose him because I thought, oh well, I, I have a feeling I know where this is going to go. This this story with the Nazis and stuff like this. Now it's been a long time since I've played a game that that just stops, that you just basically put yourself into a corner where you can't go any further. And it happened to me in this Nimdok chapter where I needed to put the eyes into the uh, uh, the lost tribe, the, the golem, is that what it was called? Yeah. So, and, and the problem was is I hadn't put the eyes into the box when I tried to leave the medical wing. And as a result, when I went outside, they saw it and I got attacked or something and I dropped the eyes anyway and they smashed. Now, nothing at that point in the game when that happened registered that I'd failed. But in effect, I had failed because there's no way I could get that thing to wake up without the eyes. So 
you know, and I didn't know what to do and I'm running around and stuff and I was like, well, I'm going to have to look this up. And someone said, if this happens, what's that? And then the first comment underneath was, well, suicide. That's it, (laughs) you know? And I was like, whoa, what do you mean? Because that's not something you see in games today where you're you're just screwed in effect. Yeah, it was pretty common in adventure game, depending on the studio. Sierra was a big fan of this, of making unwinnable states. It's not totally unwinnable. There are different ways to to get through the majority of this game, and that plays into how the endings play out. Mm. If you'll notice, each character's kind of picture on the screen, there's color behind it. And depending on what you do, it either gets darker, 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 and black, or it starts getting green, green, lighter, lighter, lighter to white. Mm. So what this game is, basically, is it's these five people playing out these psychodramas of points in their life and it's basically seeing have they changed you know these were the majority of them were not good people going into this whether they were outright villains like benny and nimduck or they were just not good people like gorster and ted or and this is the most interesting Mm. thing to me they were just straight up a victim like ellen was (sighs) yes um, and we'll yes. we'll get to her later because that's interesting. But so let's let's start with Nimdok. Nimdok, Nazi scientist, works under uh, Mengele, right? Mm-hmm. His whole thing is to learn compassion, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he's you know he's a monster who's who's experimenting on on Jewish prisoners, and so his redemption it would be to learn compassion, and to do this. And it sounds like you didn't do it. You find the golem and you, to ultimately get compassion, Nimdok turns the golem over to the, the lost tribe who then sick the golem on Nimdok. And Nimdok, did you pick up on the fact that Nimdok was Jewish? Yes. Yeah. Well, see, when I got to that point, I then re- went back and started it again. So no, I did, I did get to that point. Yeah. The second time. <laughs> Might've been the third time actually. <laughs> So it's not just that he's, you know, a Nazi doctor who's, who's experimenting on Jewish people. It's that he's Jewish and he sold out his family and his people to stay alive. And they actually, in the, uh, because of German laws dep- uh, of depicting Nazi paraphernalia, uh, Nimdok was removed from the German version of the game. And I think the French version of the game as well. Oh. Um, he's just, he's okay. not in the game. Which means you really can't, oh. you really can't win the game. If Nimdok is not in the game, because that's a whole nother level, (laughs) he has something you need. And it sounds like you did not get to the end game. So we'll talk about the end game later. But he has an item that is required for the end game to get. Yes. No, he has the code. Yeah. No, I did. get. I did. You did. Yeah. Good for you. I did. I did. (laughs) I'm with some assistance, of course, but (laughs) I did get there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one one thing, seeing we started with Nimdok or whatever, one thing, and again, you know, maybe I missed it at the time because it's the first character I played with and I noticed more as I played others, but he doesn't make too many references to Am in his chapter, you know, the initial chapter, whereas for a lot of the other characters, I got a sense of, yes, they were they were after whatever, whether it's, you know, redemption or they're learning, you know, compassion or, or you know, to stand up for themselves or whatever else, but all of the other characters were jaded by the fact that they'd done this many times before and it doesn't really matter because, you know, this is the game the machine plays with them i i don't know do you do you feel that it felt to me and this is a little bit in the book too remember i talked about nimdok kind of wanders away and he comes back covered in blood i think nimdok has Mm. has broken i think he went into it already feeling like he deserved to be punished for something whereas the others did not i think that might tie into it that is a good way to look at it yeah yeah and then and then who would you like to go to next which character Let's go to Benny, because I started talking about Benny and then I got sidetracked. So Benny, remember we talked about in the book that Benny was gay. And early in the, in the game development pro- process, it seemed like they, they did. Actually, it's confirmed that they put that in there and then took it out early in. So in the game, Benny, was a, he's turned into a soldier, actually, and not a scientist, who killed a member of his, his uh, troop and then a couple other people who who were like sympathizers for that person. If you put in the, the homosexuality angle and make it about a man who is, I, I suppose, the, 
you know, the, the stereotypical of, of macho man. He's in the army. He's, you know, big and strong and, and whatever. And if you, if you look at that and say, well, the original intention was him coming to terms with the fact that he's basically a self-hating gay man. Then you start thinking, is he killing just former lovers? Like fellow soldiers who were who were partners of his. Yeah, that's it. See, I saw this slightly differently to that because I saw that the and 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 this is how I saw the the machine, you know, makes Ellen into a, into a whore or whatever is, and and that's against her nature. Well, you know, her initial nature. You you would think from what was presented, and and I thought the same with Benny is that the machine is enjoying, you know, like you know maybe he has no problem being gay himself, but the machine is enjoying like perpetuating just this scene level of of you know like he's gay, so you know I'll give him this this massive appendage or whatever else, and I'll put him in this situation with the other men, and I'll just put him in these like absurdly, you know, to, to almost make it hilarious to the machine that that you know he's 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 doing all this to him it's like escalating the torture i suppose you know it's not maybe that that benny himself was uncomfortable with it but then i don't know maybe maybe he is but more so that he's been put in this environment that just i mean it's a a homophobic environment if you like you know the machine it's 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 enjoying that element you know or or whatever because i I know and i know this is a you know we're jumping everywhere this is but i know this is in the story not in the game but it talks about how uh ellen's uh, having sex with one of the characters i forget who it was and the machine's sort of snickering it must have been benny i suppose and the machine's snickering and laughing at them at the same time so it's just uh, it's like the extremes of of a really depraved sense of humor if that makes sense. Because it, it is it is quite childlike, isn't it? Because mm. it mentions that he names Nimdok Nimdok because he liked the way he thought it sounded funny. Yes, that's right. You know, so it, it and it's funny to turn him into an ape man with a giant penis. It's just yes. it's it's sophomoric. Mm. So if you think about this this it's this massive machine that's meant to murder on large levels. And then it has this it's very juvenile, on the other hand. Well, maybe it in itself has like it's been one hundred and nine years. While while the the people are giving up hope and you know they're, they're desperate to try and die or whatever, maybe the machine has also gone mad, as you say, because it can't do anything else. You know, it's turning on itself in a way with its humor. Everything's becoming uh, juvenile, if you like, and you know, transgressive and like this this type of thing. It's eating itself in intellectually in a way, if you like, because it's not being stimulated into what it was designed to do. Speaking of eating, let's go back to Benny. Because yes, yes. <laughs> Benny's, Benny's psychodrama is he's in this um, village uh, who worship Am as a god. And every once in a while, they have to sacrifice a villager to the, to the great god. Mm. And Benny uh, is, is hungry. And actually, very early on in the uh, game development, there's, there's footage of this. Benny can eat a child. He can eat a oh. tiny baby. Which, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know this. <laughs> well, no, it's not in the game. It was it was early oh, on. Okay. It was early on enough that there's animation for it and exists on the internet, mm. but it's it was never put in the game. But Benny again has to find compassion because he has, you know, killed his squad members for being weak. Now he is in a position where he knows who the next sacrifice am is is a a weak child. Not not a baby, but a, a weak child. And uh the whole thing is like the, the village can eat if something is sacrificed to Am. That's how they get their food. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now he's in another position where he can say, well, do I kill the weak to keep the rest of them strong? Or mm-hmm. do I acknowledge my past faults? The fact that, you know, in my current body, because he's he is basically crippled, right? He's just kind of this bowed over ape man. He probably wouldn't see himself as weak, but physically he is. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Does he say, well, I can acknowledge that I am also weak and put myself up as a trade and, and be the sacrifice, which is ultimately what you mm. need to do, which is ultimately the redeeming thing to do. Or do you let the, the child be sacrificed? So that's Benny's. <laughs> see, listeners, they're deep, aren't they? They really are deep. So who do- it's, not, it's not an easy game to get through. No, it's going to make you think. And this is and this is why I, I really wanted to do this for Halloween is this is a horror. It's it's not a scary game. There's no jump scares. It's not even particularly atmospheric horror, but it just it stays there. Yes. And it digs in 
And when you're not, you know, when, when you least realize it, that's when you start thinking about it and you realize just how kind of sick and horrid this all is. That's the horror of it. That's right. Yeah. It's that, what is the trope? It's called like fridge horror or something like that, <laughs> where it hits you later. Like when you're going to the fridge and you go, oh, wait a minute. That's why I picked this game. It hits you too, because there are things that, while you can't see yourself maybe ha- having done that yourself, there, there are things that, and I mean, again, the, the Nimdok maybe is the exception with the, the Nazi, you know, uh, the Nazi scientist or whatever, but, you know, Gorosa putting his wife in the mental home, you know, Benny, well, I suppose, you know, shooting his things if, if you take it that way from the game or whatever, but Ellen, you know, a victim, there, there are things you can, you can associate within those characters. So it's not a massive leap of faith to understand their position in the game you know it's not some supernatural sort of well i can't relate to that because you know it's a it's a, it's a person slashing people that never dies on a screen or something they are they are believable characters aren't they they are yeah and they're they're all deeply flawed in in one way or another but you you brought up gorster so talk about gorster yeah okay so gorster so this is the the so after i, I played this one i then decided to do them in order because i wondered if maybe that would affect the story. It would make more sense. So I believe he is the first character you can choose if you, if you, or the first on the left, I suppose. Uh, like if you went left or right. Yes, yeah. yeah. You can choose any, any you want, but if you wanted him. So, and I did think it played, I mean, I, uh, there was a bit of a longer chapter. I thought the Nimdok too, there was a lot more, a lot more going on uh, in that bit. But what it, what it broke down to is initially I didn't catch on. And because look, listeners, you know, it may sound like, you know, I'm out of my depth, which is, is no surprise uh, to you, but I didn't fully grasp onto what was going on i thought perhaps he had killed his wife for a good portion of this this chapter and and i didn't realize that that it was the he'd put her in the metal home till a little bit later or whatever else and he was feeling his guilt over that that decision but then of course there's the element with his stepmother that's correct that's who she was wasn't it mother-in-law Sorry, mother-in-law. Sorry, yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry, mother-in-law. Yeah, uh, not stepmother. Sorry, as well, who also felt guilt for for doing this as well. And then there's an element of the mother-in-law trying to kill him in these various scenarios that they'd obviously played out in the last 109 years or, or whatever else. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that was, it was, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it was. It's interesting, isn't it? Like, I mean, how did you feel? Unlike unlike Nimdok and and um, Benny, Gorster's is not about finding compassion. It's about forgiveness. Yes, specifically it's about forgiving himself. Hmm. Because Gorster has carried this blame. He believes that he has killed his wife, hmm. not actually killed her, but his wife was mentally sick, and he believes that he drove her to it, and then she he put her uh, in a hospital. And she just got worse and worse and worse. And so he's carrying all this guilt. He says, he keeps saying, I killed my wife. And then his his mother-in-law kept kept harping on him that that's what was happening. It just kind of gave him more and more and more guilt about this. His psychodrama, and his is interesting because it's it's not really real. You know, Nimdox is very much set in a concentration camp. Benny's is very much set in a village. Nimdox is in a, in a, like a small road saloon with a giant, uh, what is it? Like a dirigible Mm, mm. just parked right above it. Mm. It it just doesn't feel real. It feels very, yeah. Mm. But Gorister's whole journey is learning more about oh, his mother-in-law was actually harping just as much on his on her daughter. And that's what made her kind of drove her to, you know, suicide, basically. And that it's not his fault. What's interesting is that one of the, one of the things he needs to do to, because um, part of it is he has to start this dirigible. That's how he kind of metaphorically releases himself from the guilt that he's tethered to, which is this roadside diner. Part of what he needs to do is he needs, there's this wolf who may or may not be <laughs> one of the supercomputers. Cause that's another thing is that depending on how you play this, the other two supercomputers, the Russian and the Chinese one will hack in and start talking to your characters. And this ties into the overall game, like the, the end game goal of all five is can you overthrow am and the two other supercomputers will show up as characters 
and say, we can help you. If you know, whether you choose to believe them or not is up to you, but it's like a fox or a wolf or something is saying, you know, I need a heart. And so you can, you can take it from Edna, who's the uh, mother-in-law. You can take it from Glynis, who's the wife. Or, and what's interesting to get the best way is you have to kill his father-in-law, who doesn't seem to have done anything. But he's, he's a representation of this, this guilt that he's holding on to. And Gore stressed to kill him. He's the broken man, isn't he? He's the alcoholic now that sits at the yeah. bar and, and drinks. He's broken by it all. But one of the great things I thought, now, I don't know here because I did play this on iOS, not, not on the computer, but I assume they didn't do the voice acting again. I assume the voice acting is the same in in all versions. That would make sense. I thought the the the, the dog or the wolf or whatever it was, it spoke in, in rhyme, didn't it? I think is what it says it there and I have to speak in rhyme and he asks him why and he goes, well, that's just how it is <laughs> in yeah. a nice rhyme. But the voice acting of some of these characters was fantastic mm. uh, there. But anyway, that, that's a, a side issue, I suppose. But yeah, because <laughs> the dog, it, well, whatever, I call it a dog, sorry, listeners, but it also does push the narrative f- further forward there. You get to find out some of the things Am has done to them in the past as well, you know, uh, with the the sort of, because he's trying to find a way out of the desert, is it all across the mountain? That's right, um, in the airship. And so, yeah, it's it's. It, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I didn't expect the dog or the wolf or whatever it is, and uh, I, did, I did like that element of that story. <laughs> Sorry. Did you feed it a human heart, or did you find the beef heart? Uh, no, I found the beef heart. So yeah, again, again, you know, I did take some assistance with a walkthrough by this point because I started to realize what type of game this was going to be, <laughs> um, to to figure it out myself. But yeah, no, I did do the the beef heart as well so shall we move to um ellen yes so ellen is interesting like i said before ellen is a victim specifically ellen is a rape victim and it's it just so doesn't track for me why she's there because like i said they either deserve to be there like like benny and and nimda or they believe they deserve to be there or and and arguably ted or they believe they deserve to be there like gorister ellen ellen doesn't track ellen's a victim you know, Ellen was, uh, she was raped at her workplace by a, um, a maintenance worker in a yellow jumpsuit. So, of course, Am makes this uh, kind of Egyptian-themed level where everything is yellow. And Ellen's got really bad PTSD from her rape, and so she can't deal with yellow. So it's, her thing, I suppose, is acknowledgement, perhaps? It's, it can't be forgiveness, but dealing with, with the situation head on and moving on with it. But I just, I keep going back to the fact that she is a, she's a victim and she's here. And that's, that's very interesting to me. Well, she is very different to, to the other characters, mm-hmm. but I wonder if it's also control that she's trying to learn because, you know, when you, when you, when, when you get into it, you, you realize that she's a, you know, a very, like she came from a, I think she was adopted or something, uh, or, or did her parents die young? That's right. And she lived with her grandparents and, but she's, you know, been on a very academic track, very successful in her early life, very focused on work, getting, getting a job, getting all this sort of, all this sort of thing. So very successful in, in you know, materialistic way, uh, intellectual way, perhaps, uh, successful person but that she can't this this rape that happened to her broke her which is understandable but it's perhaps one of the first things in her life she didn't have control over because she seems to have been so you know on a a set path the whole way and this anomaly if you like a dreadful anomaly happens and one of the cleverest things about that level in hindsight, Mindy, is yes, the yellow, but it doesn't tell you anywhere why she doesn't like the yellow until three quarters of the way through the episode where you get into the elevator and you, you learn that she's been raped. So for the first section of that that chapter, you're like, well, what's the problem? Why is yellow? It, there's no explanation for it, is there, uh, until that moment? No, there's not. And what's what's interesting, too, is it's the type, that's the point during the level where you you uh, you get through it by blindfolding yourself. Mm. She just won't walk across a room. That's right. So it's it's like she's actively avoiding dealing with something, mm. the color or her trauma, mm. as it were. And then you get in the the elevator and you you don't have the blindfold and you're forced to deal. She's forced to deal with with what has happened to her. And it, you basically have to fight back, don't you? If you if you don't fight back, I, I think you get you know a lesser ending. Is is it the right word? A bad ending? I don't I don't know mm-hmm. the correct terminology there. But I, I thought. 
See, the other thing that I thought, because permeating through my whole mind was when this guy originally wrote the short story. And as, as you've gone on to say, he might have had certain views of women of his time or whatever. But it, it struck me as like a scene like that, where the whole point was that she had to fight back. That was the positive solution. It, it just showed this almost male chauvinistic, you know, like, well, if you don't fight back, then this will happen to you and you have to expect that. And that's sort of what the machine was trying to maybe maybe teach her that she had to stand up for herself. But in such a such an obscene, absurd way, you know. I mean, if that was presented like that today, that would would not go down well. I mean, people understand that it's not to be, that. To be fair, you're talking about one of the other AIs, right? Because Am would not say, you need to fight back and regain yourself, your sense of self. That's right. Ellen is one of the levels where one of the other computers comes in and interferes. Yes, that's that is that and says, "Hey, we can we can do this." That is true. But then the, those computers are acting on their own interests as well, aren't they? Not necessarily on the interest of the five characters. Mm. But it's, you know, it's like a game of chess. So like the fact that it helps you is incidental, but it it will help you because it will get me something I want. That's right. That's right. So let's turn our attention to Ted. Now, I didn't this was probably my least favorite chapter. Uh, and I think perhaps also. I agree. <laughs> also the hardest one for me to follow exactly what was going on. There was a lot going on here, I think, but it, it left me behind, I think, a little. Yeah. Would you, would you like to talk to this chapter? I agree. Ted, I think Ted's chapter is, is weak. So Ted, uh, con man, playboy con man, what he does is he, he seduces rich women, pretends to be a, a you know, a multimillionaire and then steals their money. Right. So Ted's Ted's setup is, is straight out of a fairy tale. It's, it's a castle. Ultimately he has to rescue a princess, which interestingly enough is Ellen, like not actually Ellen, obviously a, a, mm. a representation of Ellen, but is still Ellen. I, you know, I don't know. And the, you, you summon a demon Ted. Yeah. Ted's is weird. <laughs> feels like there's something there and i really just haven't teased it all yeah. out yet uh well one of the things and again you know this is only only my perspective it is, it's very much a, a fairy tale like you've got the wicked witch ellen's pre- presented as the princess you know and, and he's trying to save her or whatever else but and, and then at the end this is where it got a little bit too much for me the devil is present which is fine or whatever but then also an angel is present and they're sort of fighting over the soul if you like so it's almost like this chapter was trying to say a hell of a lot and there just wasn't enough space to say it all in and and you know views or whatever which which is is of course fine but one of the things that struck me in this chapter was that i thought the crudeness like i thought in a way this this maybe because i didn't fully understand i thought oh this is like a, a bit more of a nicer chapter if you like or a passive chapter the, the machine is not being too harsh on him and then you get the crudeness of the uh the servant woman who wants to sleep with him and she won't i don't know if you remember this meeting he, he can't get the mirror is it that he needs or she won't tell him uh, where the mirror is unless he sleeps with her, which he keeps denying to do. So he then ended up fixing the stove, I think, in the end to get it. But, but the way in which she talks to him, it, it, it's a level of crudeness that's not in the rest of that episode, but in, you know, in the others to a degree, I suppose. So, uh, and I think, you know, overall, I know we're harping on, on this mm. sort of issue, but it, it's so out of place in today's gaming. Like, you know, we're, we're both older gamers. So, you know, we remember playing games of, of this sort of elk back then, or the, probably not this subject matter, but, for someone playing today, uh, how do you think they would take this, you know, that's grown up in today's games that hasn't played things like this? Yeah, I don't know. This is, I mean, there's not a lot that, of games that, at least that I can think of, that do things like this. I mean, you get games that deal with dark stuff, yeah, but, I, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, you win by losing, basically. It's, it's, it's very interesting. I wonder if a game like this would even be able to be made today. You know, I mean, you could make whatever you want, but but whether it would would be released and like the the the, the drama. No, that, I think you know... I think you could, but I think it would be like it like it was ninety five. Where critically, I think it would do well, but I don't think anyone would play it. <laughs> Yes, well, I mean that that is the thing. Now, what I want to talk to you about now, then, so we've sort of the characters is the ending. Because this is where it really became a stretch for me, I think. So do you want to talk to the endings and the, the, the late game, if you like? All right. So the ending of the game all of a sudden thrusts you into Freudian psychology. Depending on how you played all five characters, you can end up in Am's, let's say, circuitry, like main circuitry. 
which is depicted as I think it's supposed to be like a giant brain with three consoles. And each character only has access to specific parts of this setting. And so, like you said, Nimdok has a code. Ellen has a like a login. It's been a while since I've played this game. Ellen has some other piece of information, I believe. And then there's there's a uh, totems. These these totems and you deal with Am's id ego and super ego, and you offer them different. You invoke different totems to either appease or break these these various parts of Freudian psychology. And depending on how you play this dictates your ending in the game. I want to know what ending you got. What happened in your ending? Okay, so as I alluded to, I did. I did after that first chapter. I did start referring to a walkthrough at times because you know obviously playing on a, a time limit or whatever to get it done and this isn't the natural type of game that I play and so I was very interested so I think I did get what what would be considered the proper ending but I only got that because of the the guide helping me there's no way I would have got there there naturally I think so I mean I'll, I'll say my ending I don't know if this is the proper ending or not but it's the ending that I got was where so so each of the characters does end up dying or whatever they get electrocuted by can, it, it, they keep touching it and then they, it eventually fries them so they get released if you like and then ted is left there as the i don't know the manager uh, the person in charge i suppose from now on to look after things and because the machines find that uh i think the two good machines maybe they'd hid humans uh on is it the another planet or whatever else and they're they're in cryo sleep or whatever else and so so you know to protect them or whatever else and basically it ends this is where it gets very muddy for me uh mindy so you're gonna have to help me the, basically uh, they, they're like okay the earth can be terraformed they must beat am i think and the earth will be re-terraformed in 300 years and those people can come back and live or whatever and, and up until that time ted will be sort of in control of it of it all but see this is what i mean listeners i'm not sure if he beat them or not <laughs> So does that help you, Mindy, with where I'm sort of at? And then you can explain what really happened? Yeah, that's a pretty good ending. So this, that's, I think that's actually the best ending of the game. Okay. So the best ending of the game is, is you destroy all three computers. You set, a, you set a monitor, so maybe you didn't destroy the other two computers. So this ending, it feels like this is what they put in because they were like, we need to have a good, like, we need to have a, a good ending. Hmm. Like, for all that Harlan Allison says, he wants a game that you can't beat. And for the entire game, you you get that feeling that you can't beat this. Even if you do everything right, Am will pull you out right at the end. And he'll say, you know, if you did everything right, he'll say, oh, I didn't expect this. I have to recalculate how I feel about you. Or if you do things wrong and you're about to die, Am will pull you out anyway. Because that's another thing I don't think we touch is Am won't let these people die. No, that's right. He will torture them, but he'll give them just enough food to keep them alive. He'll, he won't stop them from from injuring themselves but it will stop them from doing anything that is lethal so this this all feels like we're putting in a a giant level puzzle there are so many steps and the majority you know if you mess up one of them you're on a track to a bad ending and again in the versions that don't have nimdok you're just on a bad ending no matter what you do um <laughs> <laughs> that's fascinating i didn't know that yeah <laughs> so yeah there's there is a a colony on the, it's on the moon actually and it's it's uh it's like 700 people who are just cryogenically frozen on the moon and so that's what the supercomputers come in and say they're they're like you are not the last humans there are the spe you know the species can still go on am doesn't know that and of course you don't know if they're telling you the truth or not because you do realize that these are computers that were built at the same time as am who have the same purpose as am and they're just in different countries. So you have no idea of knowing, are they as sentient as Am? Are, you know, you, you don't know. So part of it is, do you, do you trust these computers because it can't get worse? Or can it get worse? But if you do decide to trust them, and depending how you, how you play the ending, that was either a good decision or a bad decision. Because you can get to a point where the supercomputers basically destroy Am and then say, okay, we're taking over. And they're they're just as bad. The best ending you can get, you destroy all three computers. And what that does is it kills it kills entire cast. But the humans on uh, okay. on uh, the moon start waking up and start going down to Earth, which is terraforming, as you said. So 
again, like I went back to set, like I said at the beginning, good ending in long term, but it doesn't make you feel good because it's not a good ending for these people that you've gotten to know. That's very true. I want to pose something. Obviously, you know, a game needs an ending. Uh, the story, I don't know if you remember back to this, the story obviously finishes differently because it doesn't have these good endings and things like this. Do you, are, do you remember the, the ending of the short story? Or Yeah, it's famous. Yeah, it's famous, that's right. So, so do you think that it needed, like I know you said it's just an add-on and this, do you think it really needed all this or it could have just ended that way? The, well, the majority of the game's endings is that. Oh, okay, I didn't realise that. Okay. Any of the bad yeah. endings, that's the ending you're going to get. Oh, so they all streamline into that ending. Okay, yeah. Mm. Okay. Ah, okay, that makes sense. So these other ones are really just tacked on then to provide a you know good ending, if you, if yeah. you like. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay, we're going to spoil stuff. In the book, the characters have all gone to an, uh, an ice cave because Am said, I have left you food in this ice cave, but you have to go get it. And so they all go get it. And it's like canned peaches or canned food, something like that. But there's no can opener. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes. And so at that point, Benny loses it. Yeah. And, you know, they're all very hungry. It's been days since they've had food. Benny loses it and he jumps Gorister and starts eating his face. And of course, you know, Am thinks this is really funny. He's distracted. So all in this split second, Ted picks up a an icicle or Ellen Ellen picks up an icicle and jams it into Benny's head and kills him Gorster I guess I guess he kills Gorster going down and then immediately Ted turns and stabs Ellen with another icicle so and Nimdok someone kills Nimdok I don't remember who kills Nimdok point is now everyone but Ted is dead and Am is furious because he can't bring them back to life and it's it, it's interesting because he's he is Am is God, and yet he's like I can't bring them back to life. I've been able to do everything. I've pushed them beyond physical and mental limits. I have tortured them. I have starved them, but I can't bring them back. It's chilling. <laughs> it's very chilling. This this is the kind of horror I like. He says I can't bring them back, and all that's left is Ted. And so Am, and Ted is basically taking his toys away, right? Because he can't do anything with them. They're, ju they're just dead. And so Am turns Ted into this blob. Just a blob. He doesn't have any arms, doesn't have any legs. It just has some eyes. It can't move, but its mind is there, which is the most horrifying thing to me. Is to be conscious of it. And that's the, the famous line, I have no mouth and I must scream. It doesn't, it's just a blob with some eyes and is cognizant of what is going on, but it can't do anything. And I think that's having gone through the experience, whether you go through the game or just the, the short story, that's so, so powerful, isn't it? Because of that. I mean, it's, it's terrifying by itself, but after you've seen everything else that proceeds to there. It's just a fantastic image. I know because I played the game first, I didn't get that. And then mm. I, I listened, as, as we said, to the audiobook later. And then when I heard that line, it just all made sense, I think. It was just that, well, you know, obviously this much stuff I don't understand. But, I mean, the, the title obviously made sense. But it sort of, it was a really nice, I don't want to say nice moment, but a really, a really closing moment, I suppose, for me it, itself. It's interesting because it's, it's a victory in as much as it's a stalemate. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, Am, Am can't hurt these people anymore. But at the end, Ted is still alive. He can't do anything. And Ted talks about how Am screws with his sense of time. And he's like, I have no idea how long I've been like this. He says Am likes to slow time and he likes to speed it up. And he talks about how he like, he, he said the word blink. And he's like, that took three years. Honestly, it's the same kind of slow burn horror you get for things like Doctor Who. Honestly, you really start thinking about what immortal, like that kind of immortality, can do. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's it's also that concept of being totally alone. Like, a, you know, I sort of it, it flashed back to you know, like this idea of maybe being buried alive, or or like in the Saw movie. You know, this is a logical leap here, where where he gets trapped in the uh, underground in the uh, 
in the the bathroom or whatever, and he's chained there. The guy and the jigsaw just slams the door and just leaves him there, you know, to die in there for as long as it takes. And it, it's that type of yeah, that isolation, isn't it? That you, you you're just trapped. You know, he's trapped in that form. Well, there's that isolation, but at least at least in Saw, he knows he's going to die. Yes. He is, he is mortal, mm. whereas Ted is, is a blob that has already been alive for 109 years. So Am can keep them alive for however long, but once they're dead, they're dead. And you know, you know that Am is never, ever going to, to risk Ted being able to kill himself. So ostensibly, Ted will remain this way as long as Am has, is functional. And that's horrifying. It really, it really is. Yeah. As, I, as I said, I think I need to thank you, Mindy, because I, I don't think I would have ever discovered this game myself. I definitely would not have, have played it and put the time into it, but I'm, I'm very glad that I, that I did. And I, I suppose just to, to finish with, we can, there's something that I would like to say, because I know this is your area of games and stuff. So, so you're, you're much more open and, and, you know, you're used to mechanics, but, but it, listen, as if you're not, if you're, you know, if you're like me and you don't play a lot of these games or, or you're a newer gamer and you're not interested in these older, older games and things, I would, I, and I know you can play this on computer, but I would really recommend considering playing it uh, on a, on a device, a, a tablet of some sort, only because it's all touchscreen. It also has a skip button. So in some of these scenarios, you may need to play them again because you make a bad choice or a wrong choice. So you can skip dialogue you've already seen to get back to that point quickly. I, I don't know if the, 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 um, the computer version has that. It possibly does as well. And it, I was really impressed how well it played on, on a, a tablet system. So, you know, it, it's a great way to do it because you can chip away at it and maybe take each each story if you do. And if, if you still don't think you can connect with it, then there are many uh, YouTube uh, videos of this game in, in full gameplay that almost play like a movie, I believe, as well. So, you know, you could you could interact with it there if you, if you so wish. Because I, I do understand, Mindy, that these games are maybe not as approachable for everyone as they maybe are for, for you and, and even myself, I, I suppose, in, in getting into them. So, you know, having said that, I think we've done a great job, great job of, of, of delving into this game. Are there any, any final thoughts, Mindy, you'd like, to, you'd like to pass out? If you do decide to play this, and especially if you decide to play it blind, every, I didn't bring this up, every character has a, like a hint book in their uh, inventory. This is not something you're going to want to use because it actually uh, tears at their psyche lowers their redemption points i suppose every time you use it but that's just purely from a gameplay perspective i really think it's worth playing it's not the best looking game even for the time period it's not the best looking game it has a couple of questionable puzzles in terms of the logic behind them but i i really think it's worth worth giving a shot to even if like cj said even if you just watch a playthrough of it i think it will really make you think Look, I, I agree. And look, listeners, as we said today, it's a little bit different. The last two episodes, the mini episodes, if you like, although again, we've gone on a little a little today in these deep dives. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, look, I apologize. Our regular, regular style episode will be coming out again later this week with a, a wonderful guest. But, you know, if you did enjoy it or whatever else, please let us know because I think I think, you know, Mindy and I love to talk about what's what's happening and talk to different people, but I think I have a sneaking suspicion there might be a little bit of an enjoyment in, in this type of format for us, this deep dive format, Mindy, where we, where we really get to, to do proper value and proper proper judgment on a game so you know I'm, I'm hoping that we will do more of this in the future and you know if there's a if there's a game obviously not you know not a hundred hour game preferably listeners but if there is a game you know from whatever period that that you feel would be interesting to have some sort of treatment like this then let us know i think i think i'm speaking not out of turn mindy does that does that sound agreeable yeah i i'm gonna have to insist that we do deep dives i think i think it's an interesting distraction not distraction it's an interesting uh, alternative to kind of the regular style that we do. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think if nothing else, it feels like, I mean, in, in you know, in, in art, you know, in, in you, know, you know, literature, as you said today, I mean, you, you gain your knowledge of what's being made today by the stuff that's been made in the past. And, you know, obviously gaming hasn't been around for that long compared to, to the masterpiece art forms or whatever, or established art forms. But it's interesting for me, having not played a lot of these games, to go back and and see how gaming's progressed. So you know, I, I hope you I hope you enjoyed it to some degree today, listeners. As always, the the final spiel will be very short. If you do want to reach out to us with a comment or a question on today's episode, you can do that on Twitter at push two plat, push the number two plat. 
or you can email us at push2plat at gmail.com or you can jump into our newly formed Discord if you want to say hi and that will be in the show notes. So look, I think I'm exhausted, Mindy, both intellectually and physically. It's been a big, big day, but a great day. A great day. Talking games. Is there is there anything else? Or shall we retire gracefully into the night? I think we should retire and go trick-or-treating. <laughs> Never too old, yeah. So look, listeners, providing we don't get attacked by a man- mechanical... Mechanical? Manical? <laughs> Dangerous? Maniacal? Maniacal. Oh, I like that. Maniacal clown. You know, that's where I was going, Mindy. The terrifying clown. As long as we survive that, this, uh, this wonderful Halloween, we will be back. So have a great week. Until then, I am well and truly out. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Mindy. Bye.